0: Thank you, Brother Townley, and praise the Lord, everyone, today. It is good to be in the house of the Lord and to be back with you folks again. Uh, We always enjoy our trips to Jennings and our time spent with Brother and Sister Townley. We also thank God for the fact that he allowed us to become friends of theirs. We feel very privileged today. And uh, if a man is judged by his friends, that's why people think I'm a good guy. I've got a lot of good friends, and so I want to thank God for that today. I also want to say how blessed it is to be, and intimidating, to be with Brother Wilson today. Uh, But We were so thoroughly blessed yesterday in the leadership meeting as he began to speak and to bring revelation to us. And I was thankful that I was able to be there just as a listener. And then last night as we sat around the table and talked, God helped me again. And so I want to thank God for the privilege of being here today. And without anything further than that, let's get right into the word of the Lord, if we could. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 23. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1. And then we're also going to read from Psalms chapter 106. Proverbs 23 and 1, Psalms 106. It's wonderful weather here in Louisiana. We've had frost already. They are wearing coats. I'm just glad to be here today. Just glad to be here. Oh, my. Proverbs 23 and verse number 1. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. In Psalms 106, going to begin reading at verse number 10. Said, And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies, there was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, and they sang his praise. But they soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And for just a few minutes today, I'd like to talk to us on this subject. A man given to appetite a man given to appetite you may be seated today we live in a fortunate time clean water is available in most of the places that we would frequent but throughout the world this has not always been the case and throughout history various parts of our world have always been on the verge of uh, hunger and famine And in many of the countries outside of our continent, rice and beans are a primary staple. And even then, one in eight people will not get enough food to eat before they go to bed tonight. Even in our countries, people are struggling with hunger, trying to make ends meet. And statistics tell us that 83% of people who are struggling with hunger, they they deal with it in different ways. 83% of people who are hungry buy inexpensive and unhealthy food. 65% 65% of them are forced to eat food that is expired. 35% water down food or drinks in order to have enough to eat. And 48% require the help of family and friends just to have enough food to eat. I don't know about you today, but I'm just thankful for the blessings, the material things that God has allowed me to have. He, he has been better to me than I deserve. I wasn't, I wasn't born in, a, in the country of Canada or in North America because of some goodness it was in me. But God just what a what a privilege just to be born here. Amen. And not only that to be born in a place where there's not only a an abundance of material things and, and of and of food for our bodies, but we can get food for our souls. We don't have to hide out somewhere in a church with blacked out windows or in someone's living room where our hunger can be filled. But we can come openly into a place of worship. We can sing at the top of our lungs and we can clap our hands and we can run aisles and we can dance. Things that someday we may not always be able to do. And I told our folks at home, you know what, we need to worship every time we come here. Because what happens if one day we're not able to be here? I want to have already set a stage in my life that I can still live for God even if I have to do it all by myself, all by myself. Famine is common in some parts of the world where people never have the luxury of indulging in more than the absolute necessities of survival. Not all hunger is brought about by natural means. When we look around our world, many times famine comes through man-made means. The people of North Korea, they're starving to death. But it's not because provision isn't there. It's because they have a leader who doesn't care about them. Venezuela and Cuba. These are places where leadership is responsible for the famine. And as I listen to you compliment your pastor today. He may not put food on your table, but he gives food to your soul. And we need to be appreciative of every message that we hear. That, gives, that satiates the hunger of our soul. But we were born with hunger being as much a part of our makeup as breathing, and it is something that we should be thankful for. The fact that we give as little thought to hunger as we do is a testimony to how blessed we are. But the physiology itself of hunger is a very interesting topic. Hunger comes with some symptoms. Real hunger comes with pain. Discomfort comes from lack of food, most commonly exhibited as cramps in the abdomen caused by the constriction of an empty stomach squeezing air and can become associated with weakness and a longing for sustenance. Webster simply defines hunger like this. It is an uneasy sensation. <laughs> Wondering what are going to eat next. We had a young lady in our church and she has since moved away, but she told her mom one time. Her mom, as punishment, sometimes she would send her to bed without a bed lunch. And she told her one night as she was going up the stairs, she stopped on the landing and she hollered down. And she said, You're going to feel some bad if I starve to death in my sleep. <laughs> she never starved. But hunger and uneas- an uneasy sensation that simply comes from not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. Uneasy is putting that. In really good terms if I wasn't sure where my next meal was coming from uneasy is not the word I would use to describe how I would feel maybe something like panic or desperation would be better suited but I'm glad I don't have to worry about that natural hunger is not something that I have to be concerned about hunger appears to be felt in the stomach just as thirst is felt in the throat and it is caused by the body's need for food none of us probably here today could say that we are hungry If we miss dinner and we miss supper and we miss breakfast tomorrow, we're still going to be just fine. But true hunger is the body saying, I need. I must have or I'm not going to survive. And the thing about an empty belly is it has no manners. It has no manners at all. When you get hungry and your belly decides it's time to eat, it doesn't matter if you're standing in the pulpit, talking to the president, greeting the queen. Your belly's going to growl whenever it good and wants to. Because it recognizes hunger and it has no manners. That's its way of telling you, I need to be fed. In human beings and in animals with backbones, chemicals in the fluid surrounding the brain and the spinal cord play an important role in regulating the sensation of hunger. Who knew that a spine and hunger went together? But there's fluid that surrounds our, our, our spine. And if they take the fluid from a hungry animal and they inject it into an animal that has just finished eating, it will go right back and begin to eat again. It is a natural drive. It's chemically induced. You can create hunger. People may become hungry if they have less than a normal amount of sugar in their blood. We have nerves called chemoreceptors in our brains, our kidneys, and digestive system, and elsewhere in the body, and detect the need for substances when they begin to get low. Like that little light in your car that comes on when you're getting near the bottom of the gas tank. Your body has the same kind of indicators that tell you it's time to find food. And so we, are, we respond to those things by as soon as we feel the slightest nod, we, we start looking for, well, okay, what's the next exit and what food can we find there? You know, is it, oh, there's only a McDonald's at this one. We'll move on to the next one where maybe we'll find a, a Burger King. But see, hungry people aren't that picky. Hungry people find the first place that has food. And they follow their hunger because they know that without satiating that hunger, they're not going to survive. I've watched people over the years as they come to church and as they, as they set out on a journey to find God. And you can tell the people who come because they heard that your church gives away hot apple pies to every first-time guest. That's what we do at our church. You can tell the ones who come for the pie and the ones who come because they are really hungry. They don't come looking for a pie. They come looking for something to satisfy a much deeper hunger inside of them. They're being driven to find something bigger than themselves, something that gives purpose and meaning to their life, something that can repair their family, something that can fix their marriage, something that can bring peace in the middle of a storm. They're they're, they're hungry for something. Those others who come for apple pies are people who are there because they have an appetite. And there is a difference between hunger and appetite. A newborn infant experiences hunger, but probably not appetite. While most animals know only hunger. Brother Wilson talked about it yesterday. Animals, they they love and they eat. That's what they do. But pets, they say, can develop an appetite, but it has to be trained into them. If you continually feed your puppy chocolate cake, he'll develop an appetite for chocolate cake. He may never have liked it before. He didn't know he liked chocolate cake until you trained him to like chocolate cake. Aren't you sad that somebody taught you how to like chocolate cake? You know, you weren't born with that hunger or appetite, but it it got trained into you. Wow, we would be a lot skinnier if we hadn't been trained into some appetites, wouldn't we? But appetites can be trained. And hunger and eating are even affected by social habits. We'll try to get into some scriptural stuff here in a minute. By social habits, because we eat at certain times. And because we only usually eat certain foods at those times. Why did your mother tell you you can't have Pepsi and pizza for breakfast? If you're just hungry and you want Pepsi and pizza, why shouldn't you eat Pepsi and pizza for breakfast? Why should it be eggs and toast and cereal and milk and bagels and jam? Because it's a social thing. Because we ate it at certain times, it created a a habitual way of thinking. We have eggs at breakfast, and we take sandwiches for lunch, and we eat potatoes and meat for supper. It's habitual. It is social. But no discussion of hunger would be complete without talking of appetite. Because appetite differs from hunger, even though it is closely related to it. Appetite is the desire or a craving for something pleasant and familiar. And is almost entirely based on taste experience. You'll never have an appetite for something you haven't tried. We went to the restaurant last night and they had fried eggplant. I have never had an appetite for fried eggplant. I, I, I didn't know you could eat eggplant. I, I, I don't eat corn and beans, so you know I wouldn't be out there experimenting with eggplant. But no, no, no appetite for it was ever developed because I, I had never experienced it. But appetite is based on an experience, and if it's a pleasant experience, you will say at some point, "I want that again. I, I need to feel or taste or hear or see that again." But it's based on something that has already happened to you. We can talk about things that you have an appetite for, and I can get your saliva glands going today just by talking about bluebell ice cream especially that Christmas kind that you can never find. We bought, Sister Hanscom bought a little thing, a bluebell, while we were in Houston, and we didn't have a spoon. And on the way to the hotel, she pulled, peeled the top off, and she was, we don't have bluebell where we live, but she has an appetite for bluebell and don't even need a spoon. Just if I can get the top off of this thing, I, I'm going to fix my appetite. And, but That's a result. That is a result of a, of a past experience that has brought with it satisfaction. Now, I know y'all are laughing, but y'all would do the same thing. Amen. Y'all would do the same thing. So I talked to you about bluebell ice cream, and it makes your mouth water. But if we were to talk to an Eskimo today and talk about seal blubber, it would do the same thing to him. But I could talk about seal blubber all day here, and nobody's going to say, man, we got to go eat dinner. Because you've never developed an appetite for that. But because that for him is a comfort food, he goes to it in times of distress and and hurt, just like you do with ice cream. It becomes an appetite. And because appetite is not need-driven, even after a satisfying meal, when you are really and truly full and no longer hungry, you will still not say no to ice cream. My mother always said, you always have room for ice cream because ice cream just melts and fills in all the empty spaces. She had an appetite for ice cream. And so while hunger and thirst are felt in in the stomach and the throat respectively, it can be difficult to localize appetite. The sight, the smell, even the thought of foods that are pleasing can arouse appetite in us. And worry, fear, excitement, anger, and sorrow can depress it. Hunger can border on pain, but appetite does not. Hunger is need, but appetite is desire. Hunger is a cue from your body. Appetite is a cue from your mind. Appetite represents luxury and choice. A modern concept that only appears once humans have the option of choosing when and what they want to eat. During the ministry of Jesus, we hear him speak of appetite in terms like this. Speaking to the then known church, he said, We have piped unto you in the marketplace, and you haven't danced. We thought that that would would quicken your appetite. So we piped to you, but you haven't danced. And so we put down our pipes, and we mourned unto you, and you wouldn't wait. I'm speaking to your appetites, but it seems like nothing is able to move you. We sometimes confuse hunger and appetite, and we lump both concepts under hunger, telling ourselves that we are hungry for Chinese food, when really all we want is to just fulfill that appetite. We come to church and they pipe, but we say, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm just, I'm full today because we don't feel like worshiping today. The Bible says if you really want to know when you're meeting the, the needs of your brothers and sisters, he said it's you weep with those that weep, not because you feel like weeping, but because they're weeping. And you rejoice with those that rejoice, not because you're happy, but because they're happy. I, I tell our folks at home when you, I, and it, oh, it irritates me as a pastor sometimes, I see people get down to pray and they're weeping and crying, and all the people that they don't like are gathered around praying for them, and all the people that are their friends and that they think are the you know that's their squad, you know, they're all standing around the back. I said, if you want to know who your friends are, when you're under a burden and you open your eyes, look up. That's who your friends are. Those are the people who are going to rejoice with you. They're going to weep with you. They're going to be there for you. And so today, I, I, I guess I just want to set a little... Uh, I'm, I'm not a deep preacher. I'm too short to be deep. But many times our responses, even in church, are based on whether or not we are bored. Whether or not we have a need today. But I don't come to church every service because I, am, I just need a little appetite fulfilled. I come to church every single service hungry. I cannot survive without Him. As they begin to sing that song this morning. Uh, the one about the, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is higher than all names. I, as far as I know today, I don't have any cancer in my body. My family is all doing well. My kids are living for Jesus with all their hearts. They're playing music and singing at home today. But when they sang, "What all, the, the name of Jesus is higher than all names, I literally felt goosebumps on the back of my neck. Not because I just need somebody to just just help my appetite, but because there was a hunger inside of me. I came to church today for that feeling. I came to church today to worship that name. I came today to be satisfied with Him and not with all of the things that life has to offer me. None of the things... You know, my mother would sometimes say to us when we would sit down to eat, and you know, we would take. I, I as you, if you know me at all, and you've probably heard me say, I don't eat vegetables. And so my mom said, when you eat vegetables, you got to at least eat as many as you are old. Man, I hated growing up then. You know, I wanted to be 16 to drive, but man, to hate 16 peas on your plate was ridiculous, especially when there was French fries and hamburgers. You know, 16 cheeseburgers would have been good, but 16 peas—that's different. And she would say, you know, don't let your eyes be bigger than your stomach. What she was simply saying is, don't let your appetite be bigger than your hunger. Because hunger makes you hurt, but appetite just makes your mouth water. Hungry people eat out of dumpsters, but nobody has an appetite for dumpster diving. I'm convinced today that sometimes in the church we are more motivated by appetite than we are by hunger. Even spiritually, where the need, the hunger is the need to eat, appetite is simply the desire to eat things that are pleasant to taste. As a pastor, I'll tell you, I struggle to preach hard things sometimes. Because what do I want to do? I want to preach things that people want to hear. I want to preach things that make them rejoice and make them happy and and make them feel good when really sometimes they need to feel bad. Sometimes they need to feel conviction. And I've got to be careful that I don't cater to their appetites and allow their hungers to still remain as part of who they are. Hunger is what Job experienced when he said, I need you more than my necessary meat." If I don't get anything else, I don't care if you don't restore the camels, if you don't bring back the sheep. I've got to have you more than my necessary me. I have an appetite for the ride of a good camel, but I've got a hunger to know you. He said, I may not know where you are, but I'm going to tell you the hunger inside of me drives me to tell this. I don't know where he is, but he knows the way that I take. And when I come forth, I'll come forth as gold. That's the hunger that I have. He said, in my flesh, I will see God. I will force myself to do what I know is right when it doesn't feel good. Hunger makes you do that, not appetite. Appetite made him sit there and when his wife said, curse God and die, a simple appetite would have said, that sounds like a good deal. But instead, his hunger said, you talk like a foolish woman. The same God who gave, is he, is it not his privilege and his right to also take away? I just need him. I need him more than any of the things that I have lost. Hunger is what the psalmist describes as he so passionately says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after you, O God. They tell us that that verse actually references an animal who is fleeing perhaps even from a predator. Because a deer, for the most part, gathers up the liquid that it needs from just its grazing habits. Just the satiating of its appetite, what it likes to do. But when it gets in trouble and it is panting, it needs to get somewhere that will satisfy a much deeper hunger. Consumption for the purpose of survival. That is what hunger is. Not for the purpose of comfort. When we feast our eyes on a delicious A delicious plate of food your mouth may water you can practically taste it and feel its textures on your tongue even the mere thought of food can elicit the same emotional response if we're not careful even when it comes to preaching and the struggle is real even for for me personally that if I'm not careful we become almost Pavlovian in our response to preaching Pavlov's dog, they did an experiment where he would, he would, put it very simply, he would rattle the dish and put food in it and the dogs would come running and they would begin to slobber and salivate and eventually at the end of the experiment, he didn't put any food in it, he just rattled the dish and he got the same response from his dogs as he did when he was offering them food. And sometimes in my walk with God, I feel like, you know what, sometimes hunger is not there and I, I just satiate myself with the rattling of the bowl. As long as I can go to church and we go home after an hour and a half and someone has testified well and someone spoke and someone sang and we go home and church satisfied us. But somewhere in the middle of the night, I want to wake up with a hunger that says that that was not enough. I've got to have something that satisfies my hunger, not just something that pleases my appetite. Every single person who has ever had the desire to be healthy learns how to suppress their appetites. No one ever lost weight eating only the foods that they like to eat. If you want to be healthy, you're going to have sometimes push away the things that you would like to have and go with the things that you need. Sometimes it must be what is good for us versus what feels good to us. Too many times we push back from natural tables, have to loosen our belt a notch after the Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner because we've eaten well beyond the point of being full and meeting our hunger. But you know what, in church sometimes we're content to come in and rather than to fill ourselves and to take care of that hunger, we just take what feels good to us so that we don't mess up our hair. Don't sweat up our suits. Don't work at eradicating our pride. We just come to church to be just careful and clean Christians. But at the end of the day, there's a hunger in every one of us. And we cannot allow our appetites to displace that hunger so that I only want what I want and if the preaching pleases me and it doesn't convict me, then I'm I'm glad I was in church today. But if I go home and he stepped on my toes, man, he was on the war path this morning. That's not how it works when you're hungry. When you're hungry, it's whatever is set before you. He makes even the bitter thing to be sweet when you are hungry. It doesn't matter if it crosses our ideas and our ways of thinking. If we are hungry, we'll accept it as a word from God. Oh, I'll tell you today, I'm thankful for all the times that I have had to endure sound doctrine that didn't sound like what I wanted to hear, but it was what I needed to hear. I'm glad I'm not driven today by my appetites, but by my hunger for the things of God. Oh, I love you, Jesus. They did a research study, and they took two groups of people, and they fed them the exact same food. It was a chocolate raspberry protein bar. And after eating the bar, one of them reported feeling hungry and the other not so much. The difference is the group that was told that they would be eating a new health bar while the second group was told that they would be eating a chocolate bar that is very tasty and yummy with a chocolate raspberry core. Just thinking that the food was healthy made the first group feel hungrier. We naturally resist the things that are best for us. That is why sometimes God has to shake us because we resist what is best. Several years ago, I read a book. The title of the book was Into the Wild. Some of you may have read it, but it tells a story of a young man from, I believe he was from Washington state. He was the son of a very wealthy family and he just wanted to get away from the city and the pressures and the stresses of being in the family he was in and the social circles that they ran in. And so he He left and he went to Alaska. He hijacked, hijacked, he hitchhiked. (laughs) He hitchhiked his way to Alaska. And when he got as far as the road would take him, he he walked off into the wilderness. And and the the story is written, uh, he died in the wilderness, so nobody knows exactly what happened once he disappeared from everyone's little social circles. But he left diaries behind and he kept records of things that he ate and things that he did. And when they eventually when they found him he had he had literally starved to death but he hadn't starved to death in the typical way that people starve as they begin to read through the the words that he had etched on the walls of an old school bus where he was hiding for shelter and, and that's where he spent his last days he began to describe the, the feelings and the emotions of living there and of experiencing the hunger and, and, and telling of the food that he was finding and foraging for and eating. And, and so when they, when they took his body and they did the autopsy, they found that his, his belly literally was full. He had starved to death, but his stomach was full. And they looked into the food that he had eaten, and they began to, to put it under a microscope to determine what kind of food it was he had, eat, he had eaten last. And, and they said that they discovered that he had eaten the roots of a certain plant, that it looks like a potato. And he had, there was all kinds of it in the area in which, he was, in which he was living, and he was sick, and he couldn't go very far. So he was just eating the roots of this plant, and he would fill his belly with these roots, and as they began to test these roots, they discovered that while it filled his belly with sustenance, there was something in the composition of this root that coated the inside of his stomach that made it unable to absorb nutrients from anything good. And even though he was filling himself with these roots, it would not have mattered if they had actually brought him good food at the end. It would not have mattered because his, his body was no longer able to absorb the good things. I don't know about you, but I do not want that to be the story of my relationship with God. I do not want my appetites to drive me until I fill myself with things like entertainment and and, and with fellowship and, and leave the altar out of it until I finally find myself dead and pulled up by the roots. And simply when people say, How did he die? He filled, he satisfied all of his appetites, but none of his hunger. All of my appetites. satisfied. I, I was happy. I had all of the material things. Life looked like it was good, but I starved to death on a pew because I took care of my appetites, but none of my hungers. The scripture talks about in the last days that men would heap to themselves teachers having itchy, itching ears. All he's simply saying is the same thing I'm telling you. They heap to themselves teachers wanting them to just preach something that satisfies their appetites. It's not about survival. It's just about pleasing and making us feel like we're doing okay. People who ought to be doing meat and should have developed an appetite for it. Paul talks about it and said, you're at a time when you should have progressed beyond an appetite for milk. You're able to eat meat you've got the teeth you've got the you've got the chemical in in your body the 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 digestive ability is there to consume meat but because you shied away from satisfying your hunger you've gone with an appetite and at what time you should be eating meat and becoming mature instead you are just living with an appetite where you are just satisfying yourself with the simple things the small things the milk of the word this is not in any way to detract from the word you know paul was not saying that he was just saying, let's go on into perfection. Just, just let's, let's go on to something greater and something better so that we can be more for God than we've ever been before. Amen. We can satisfy ourselves with milk, but I'm going to tell you that's not going to affect and influence anybody in their walk with God. I told Sister Hanscom a few days ago, it doesn't matter how many chapters we read in the Bible this week, how many hours we spend praying, how many Christian things we do or how much money we put in the offering plate. If we can read the Word and it doesn't quicken something inside of us and say, I need to change. Paul said we can't be like a man who looks into the mirror of the Word and then walks away and forgets what manner of man he was. I, I, just because I preach to my church, we need to read our Bible and we need to pray. I don't want them to just read the Bible and pray. I'd rather them open up the Bible instead of reading 10 chapters today, find 10 verses that tear up their soul and say, I've got to grow in God or I'm not making any progress here. How can we spend time in His presence and not be challenged to change who we are? I want to be delivered from my appetites. I have a fear that sometimes I substitute my appetite for my hunger. But Solomon said, if you are a man given to appetite, you should put a knife to your throat. Learn some self-control. Force yourself to come under hand and say, you know what, that might make me feel good, but this is what I need. This is what I must have. When the children of Israel left Egypt, God had done great things for them. He set them free from the taskmasters of Egypt. He delivered them, and you know what? He took them out into the wilderness. And we often use the term that they wandered in the wilderness for forty years, but that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says He led them in the wilderness there's a difference between wandering and being led as long as God's leading 40 years is okay because he's still taking me to the promised land and every day while they were in the wilderness we know we're all familiar with the story manna fell from heaven every morning it was fresh to satisfy their hunger but the problem with the children of Israel was not their hunger their problem was their appetite because even though they had been slaves in Egypt, they had developed some appetites. They had an appetite for garlic, an appetite for leeks and for onions. They even had an attempt, an attachment to Egyptian death practices. Till they get out into the wilderness and ask Moses, were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? There was an appetite for the things that they had grown accustomed to, even as slaves. They found a little bit of comfort. In satisfying appetites. Backs bleeding. Feet sore from tramping through slime pits. But man, we got garlics for supper. I'll make bricks for the Egyptians and and we'll build them great cities. But man, as long as I've got some leeks and some onions, I'm going to be okay. And when they come out and God began to supply all their needs, they reverted back to their appetites. Their bellies were full. They didn't even know shouldn't have known what they were missing. But because they continued to look back to their appetites, then their hunger was subverted. You cannot satisfy your soul until you are no longer hungry and becoming nothing like Him. There were so many people who followed Jesus just for the loaves and the fishes. Oh, 5,000 plus women and children sat down on grass as He fed them, breaking it and blessing it and passing it on. And then he goes and walks around the lake and they follow him and catch him over there. And and he, he said to them, you're following me just because of the loaves and the fishes. But then when he started talking about giving them the bread of life and began to question their direction and challenge their mindsets, the Bible says that they departed from him. They had an appetite for bread and fish, but they had no hunger for the things of God. Solomon wisely said, the eyes of a man are never full. There is no way to satisfy every appetite. We must suppress and control them. But we must stay hungry for God. Stay hungry for a touch of God in our personal prayer life. Preaching that won't offend you, stay hungry. Not just have an appetite. I don't, I don't just want to hear stuff that makes me feel good. Oh, I'm, That's what I want, but that's not what I need. I need something that that shakes me and and breaks me out of my stability and my routine and the little loop that I'm caught in. I need something to break the chain and say, no, you need to move on from here. You've circled this mountain long enough. You're comfortable with the campsite, but there's a promised land that's just beyond the place that we've continued to circle. Discouragement won't derail you if you'll stay hungry. But you know, there is going to be a place one day where we will turn loose of our hunger. And we can't afford to turn loose of it anywheres before there. The Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, there will be no more hunger and there will be no more thirst. Why in the world would that be? Because when we get there, we are going to have all of Him. Everything that we have hungered for here is going to be fulfilled when we get over there. When we get there, I'll let my hunger go. But until then... I want my hunger to drive me. I want to master my appetite, but I want to keep my hunger alive. There was a man named Thomas Costins, and he wrote a book entitled The Three Edwards. And in it, he tells the story of a man who was a a duke in what we now know as Belgium. He was a very fat and obese man. His nickname was Crassus, which was Latin for fat. And one day after a real violent quarrel with his brother... His brother, whose name was Edward, launched a successful revolt against him and removed him from office, captured him but didn't kill him. Instead, he built him a room in a castle in Newark and told him that he would immediately get all of his property and all of his kingdom and everything that he had lost. He could have it all back as soon as he could leave this room that he had built for him. This sounds pretty simple, and it would be for most people because the room was not a jail cell. It was simply a room that had several windows and doors that were normal size or near normal size. None of them were ever locked. No bar was ever put on the door or the window. The problem was Crassus' appetites. In order to leave the room, he would have to lose some weight. And his brother knew him so well. And so each day, he had the cook at the castle prepare him huge plates of sweets, things that were not healthy but that would tempt the appetite of a man who had allowed himself to be representative of just everything that he wanted. And so he sent these these sweets to him, and every day for 10 years, he just fed him dessert, anything that his appetite would want he provided for him. For 10 years, he stayed there and he was not released until his brother was killed in a battle. But when anyone would ever ask Edward about the cruelty of jailing and and, and putting his brother away, this is the response that he always gave. My brother is not a prisoner. He can leave whenever he wants to because the truth is he is only a prisoner to his appetites. Many times I see people Many times I have to fight it myself, just being vulnerable. That I can be trapped in things that I have the ability to leave if I would just learn to control my own appetites. Nobody is standing there guarding the door. Nobody is standing there keeping and, and, and barring the entrance and the exit so that I can't. It's me. If I want more of God, I'll tell you what I have to do. I have to push away the appetite. Say I'm not going to fulfill all of my needs and my desires and my and 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 my, my I'm not going to satisfy that with entertainment. I I'm going to look. There's something that's greater and that I desire far more than just to please the flesh. I got to push away the appetites because that is the thing that keeps each and every one of us a prisoner today. If we want more of God, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to push back the appetite and tell Him I want more of You. And if you're here today and you've never had an experience with God, I'm going to tell you you're here not by accident. You are here because somewhere inside of every man there is a hunger. And you may have fended it off for years by satisfying your appetites. But today I wonder if God isn't saying, if you would just push back some of your appetites, let go of some of the things that you love so much, and instead come closer to where I am and let me touch you and change you. Don't be a prisoner to your appetite. In closing today, I would just tell you this. You can stand with me. In my mind's eye, I can see a house with two women in it. It is clean and it's tidy, but a guest has arrived. The first woman, she rushes about the house. She's mixing up bread dough and she's starting the coffee. She's a perfectionist, and the place sitting on the table reflects her personal attention to detail. The napkins are folded impeccably and the the knives and the forks and the spoons are all on their proper places next to the plate. She's rushing about the kitchen, preparing for a guest of utmost importance. Hence the careful and detailed acts of service. It's just her way. It's what she likes to do. But in the next room, the guest is seated in a chair of honor. The woman in the kitchen can hear the low voices as they rumble through the house the occasional burst of laughter, or the murmured assent to something that he has said. Once in a while, a question is asked. The answer comes, and she wishes that she could be in there with all of the others. It would be nice to put aside the things that she enjoys doing for a while, but she's comfortable here. While the others gaped at the speaker or oohed and aahed at his words, she stuck to her regimen of comfortable activity. She tried her best, but eventually she can't help herself. She sticks her head around the living room door and says, Lord, would you tell her to come help me? She's in here relaxing and sitting at your feet, and I'm out here laboring alone. Jesus didn't say, Mary, go out and help her. He didn't say, Martha, come in and sit at my feet. He simply pointed out the obvious. Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about with many things. You enjoy serving, and you have just simply made a choice that rather than sit at my feet, you will serve. You're encumbered about with many things, but she hath chosen the better part that shall not be taken away. One of them chose to feed her appetite. The other chose to feed her hunger. And today I just would challenge each of us, what is the choice going to be that we will make? Will we, will we mess around in the kitchen and mess around at work and work for promotions and try to satisfy all of the things of our soul, just fulfilling our appetites? Or can we move all of that to the back burner and say, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. I'm going to put everything else on hold because I've got a hunger that needs to be satisfied. And today in this house, I'm going to tell you that He is here to satisfy the hunger of every soul. He is here. If you've you've never met him, he's here to meet you today. Don't be satisfied with just an appetite that has been slaked, but instead have a hunger and let it out and let Jesus be to you what he would love to be today. God bless you in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody want to come forward and reach for more of God? Anybody hungry for a closer walk with God, for a fresh touch? Anybody want to be saved? Anybody want to be forgiven? Righteous desire of holiness and truth.
1: More of you. More of you, Lord. More of you.
0: Thank you, Jesus. I've had all.
1: I've had all, but what I need is more.
0: Oh, that's it. Follow your soul's hunger for the Lord.
1: Express
0: your desire. I want more of you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
1: Thank you, Lord.